Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello and welcome to the Bradley Wiggins Show, a weekly podcast with you throughout the 2018 Tour de France. I'm Bradley Wiggins. I'm Molly Weaver. And I'm Adam Green. And coming up today, we'll be talking about another chaotic day on the Roubaix Pave, plus Groenewegen, Sagan, and all the week one highlights. And we discuss the GC battle and a possible dilemma for Team Sky. Finally, the one we've all been waiting for, and this is not the French winning the World Cup final, but the cobbles of Roubaix. It's been hyped since the start of the tour. Did the 15 sections of cobbles live up to expectations? What did you both make of, of the stage? I think they probably did, but looking at the stage today, I mean, it was a hot one for them, so I think everyone was hoping for a bit of rain that for the entertainment value on the telly. But no, it was good. I think there was no major kind of time losses for the real big GC guys um, it looked like that at times certainly with Landers crash Bardet early on in the stage had quite a few bike changes and stuff but um, it seemed everyone got through pretty much unscathed and I'm sure a lot of them would have had they would have took that result at the start of the stage so I think it was all round a pretty good day for everyone um, some better than others certainly the guys that were in the front Van Avermaet extended his lead um, which was a surprise, actually. I, I didn't think that he would have got as much lead as he did. He looked so, strong, didn't he? He did. Finish. But, you know, we expected those guys to be there. John, Dakin, Lobb and those guys. Dakin Cobb is where he doesn't want to be at the minute, leading up the sprint from the front. 200 metres to go, and they have to go now. It's Dakin Cobb from the front in the white. On the left-hand side, the Belgian champion in the national colours. But it's another Belgian coming off the wheel at the minute. Dakin Cobb, though, is holding it. But here comes the number man. Dakin Cobb going from a long way, and he's going to do it. I think it, it certainly was an entertainment value, definitely, in it. Um, but I think all the GC guys will be happy with getting through that. Apart from, sadly, Richie Port, who, after 10 kilometres, we yeah. saw sat by the roadside. Yeah, I think it's the exact same stage as last year as well, stage mm. nine. So I think, yeah, I think quite often, especially if it's conditions like today, there's maybe more losers than there are winners of the day. I think the result didn't reflect the excitement of the stage. But then, obviously, yeah, Port it was the loser of today obviously he's out of the tour I think we didn't see the actual crash itself but it seemed like a lot of teams wrapped up in it it's just bad luck I think and you mentioned Lander Froome crashing as well I think all in all most people will be relieved more than anything that that day's done and they are where they are and and, and now we get into the, the proper Tour de France as it were into the mountains you take punctures and crashes as long as you don't break a bone. And actually, no one showed a massive weakness. No, if anything, it was a few surprises. I mean, Quintana was right there, still at the end. Yeah, like a seamless day. He and used to just float through it. I yeah. think the last time they read that stage, he had a, a, may have lost some time on that stage. So, I mean, it was um, guys like Geraint Thomas and that we expected to be there, and we expected them to be right at the forefront, um, having been up there in Paris-Roubaix. And Chris Froome's ridden well on the cobbles before, but... To see guys like Quintana and Bardet right there towards the end, I think that that's, if anything, a, you know, a huge success for them today. You've tackled the cobbles before. Molly, I know you have as well. How do you both view them? I always loved them, yeah. I think it's the kind of, like, it's the sort of terrain where it kind of eliminates some riders, which always helps. If you're someone who actually enjoys them, you can find that some of the fields already kind of gone through fear or not being in the right position, that kind of thing. Mm. I think if you've got a good team around you I think riders today that maybe could have profited a bit more like people like Youngles and people who had a team that could have I mean took a little bit of time so I think actually if you're someone comfortable on it with a team around you you can really profit from the cobbles yeah yeah I mean I only rode them once in the tour in 2011 I think it was or 10 and um, it, it was a good day for me I was top 10 on the stage but if given before it you'd, you'd always prefer in a tour well, I certainly would to not have that stage you know you're ready for the tour you're ready to climb you're ready to you know be as light as possible and all those things and I think we saw these sort of stages as I mean they're becoming more regular now in the Tour de France and they, they seem to be in every year every other year because at times it's such a lottery even even for guys like Geraint and that who are, who are really good at them puncture at the wrong time as we saw today a few guys certainly Bardet in the final you know you can't control that really so I think 
it could be the end of your tour, one punch at the wrong time or a crash. A crash goes down in front of you, as we saw Richie today. So I think most guys would would prefer, given the choice before, to not have that stage. But at the same time, once it's in there and it's included, you've got to get on with it. And, you know, we saw today guys like Garayton. I don't think he was ever out of the top 10 today on that mm. stage. So they were certainly well prepared for it. Your last race for Sky was Roubaix. Mm wasn't it? Yeah, but I mean, you enter Paris-Roubaix, you kind of know what you expected and you know what you're letting yourself in for, whereas, you know, 50% of the peloton today are doing the Tour de France, not particularly for that stage. They're there because it's the Tour de France and there's mountains and it is the Tour de France. So it's quite a bit different from starting a one-day race at Paris-Roubaix where it's everything on the line for six or seven hours. If you crash out the race, that's it. You know, you're going home and it's the end of the spring classics. But most guys, you know, they, they're in the tour. They've got a job to do for three weeks, not just for for one week of the tour. So it is, it's 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 quite a bit different to a, to a classic where you've got two hundred guys that are really up for it. Whereas today, it was probably twenty, thirty guys that had to get to the finish where they were, and the the rest of the peloton was you know helping those guys in order to do that and trying to stay safe. We saw Lawson Craddock sat at the back for most of the stage today, just trying to get through the stage and survive with his injuries that he's already got from the first stages. So, which is a pretty heroic effort. So yeah, popping, certainly on it? the cobbles, definitely. Yeah, but you just see that everyone has different objectives today and different goals. Um, so it differs quite a bit to a, to a one day Paris Roubaix. And um, for us mere mortals, what are the challenges of riding Pave and riding those cobbles? What does it feel like? Well, I mean, it's um, it's hard to describe the cobbles unless you actually ride ride them. But especially on modern day equipment, you know, with carbon bikes, everything's getting lighter. The wheels, you hit those cobbles, and you, you kind of wonder if you've never experienced them before whether the bikes are going to hold up or not on these cobbles. I mean, they're just the, the pounding you get, and some of the sectors are better than others. But I often I described it to my son, who I took out in April this year to ride for the first time on Carrefour de Labra and some of the real bad sectors, and it's it's like. Someone's flown over with a helicopter and thrown cobbles out of the helicopter into wet cement. And wherever they've landed, that's kind of where they've ended up for 100 years. And they've been moved and shaped over the years of farm you know, uh, tractors going across them. And the ones that have been untouched, like the Carrefour de Labra, um, Champagne on Pavel, those ones, they're, they're the real tough sector. So they're, they're big enough, you know, there's gaps big enough to get your whole tyre down, even if you're riding 27 mil tyres. So, and when it's wet, that makes it obviously even slipperier and et cetera, et cetera. But a lot of the other sectors have kind of been remade and man-made and, and they're quite smooth, but they're, so they're, they're certainly not as bad as, as, as like the car four, but they're horrific. And, you know, that they're, they're as, as wide as in places as we're sitting three abreast here and, You've got 200 guys going into a gap that's that wide and obviously there's a natural you know, squeezing of the peloton then it stops and then there's a crash as we saw even Chris Froome at the front today crashing going into one of them. So, And that just builds and builds and builds and the group gets slimmed down. We saw crashes on the exits of the cobbles today. We saw crashes you know, with the traffic islands that are now in place on the roads in between those and it's just chaotic it's also and, the mental exertion yeah. as well sometimes and, you get to the end you have to be switched on the whole time there's not a second of let up on and that's it and i think for the riders you're so focused you know that you can do the recons and stuff and you can you can sort of remember okay that remember that farmhouse that means we've got 200 meters to go to the right and you remember that for a few sectors and the further you get into the race you forget all those little markers and you just got your head down and you're coming off onto tarmac left right before you know it you're on to the next one and before you know it, you're at the finish, and it, it just. But we're watching it in almost slow motion in real time on the telly. But when you're actually in the race, there's so much happening, and people in your ears. Someone's punched, someone's crashed, yeah. and it's chaotic. And before you know it, you're at the finish, and you're like, "God, I haven't punched. I've stayed upright. I'm still in. The, I'm in front three here. I can win the stage, or wherever you happen to be on the road." And it's, it's, it's quite a day actually, and it's it's quite a relief as well when you've come through that whole stage and you've not had a punch, you've not had a crash. The, when I rode it in 2010 in the tour, I wasn't that well placed into the first sectors, and I was just coming through it. And I described it at the time being like the opening scene of Saving Private Ryan. You know, there's bodies everywhere, and I remember going, seeing Frank Schleck on the floor, who broke his collarbone, and Tony Martin had ridden across his head, and then, <laughs> you know, going up again and seeing Lance Armstrong try and jump into the gutter and punctured, and he went back, and 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 you're just feeding through all this carnage that's going on around you. And somehow you stay upright and somehow you don't puncture and you get to the end of it. And before you know it, you're in the front group of seven riders. You think, how, how have I ended up here? Because there's, there's a natural splitting of the peloton in, in certain parts. And it's not 
It's not something that happens organically like in a normal race where someone will attack, three will go with them. And and even today we're watching that and it's kind of those three just ride away in that, that final just from an acceleration more than anything. And it's it's the one race that's like that. There's no other race like it. And it's it's brilliant to watch as it was today. Terrible if you're riding it and you're a Quintana and you're waiting for the mountains and you've got to get through this stage, but great entertainment. Now, we're going to talk about the GC battle in a bit, but let's look back on some other highlights of the past week's racing. We're now on two stage wins for Sagan, two for Gaviria. Dylan Grunewagen won two in a row. There was an impressive uphill finish in Murder Britannia for Dan Martin. Pick as a highlight for the, the, the week that's gone by. I think it'd be easy to say the Dan Martin win was the most spectacular, probably. But for me, it's the way Gronovagen came through. I think he wasn't feeling great at the start of the tour. And I thought, OK, either your training has not quite gone right and you're not going to come good, or you're a little bit overrested, And then maybe as the others tire, you, you'll have more power than them. And actually, he came over them with such speed. Yeah. That he thought that's actually going to be interesting to watch how throughout the rest of it. If he's actually just coming a little bit too fresh and he's going to ride his way through it and, and be the sort of breakout sprinter of it, as Gaviria looked yeah. to be in the early stages. And it was finger on the lips, wasn't it? As he, yeah, he yeah, the silencing line. the. Yeah, critics, I mean, his speed, yeah. his pure speed's been yeah. the most impressive, actually, out of everything. But again, Sagan's just pure dominance in terms of his consistency. He's always there, second or third, two stage wins already. I mean, he's just, he's so imposing. Here we go, Sagan! Sagan coming all the way to the line. Is he going to make it all the way home? He's a world champion and he also is dominating this green jersey competition yet again. Sagan, it's his era it seems. Another page turned in a history of greatness. You know, all the bad luck, people getting boxed in, this and that, but he's always there. He was there again today and it's just that, that's, you know, you almost it's, it, it's become such a normal thing to see him in that position, in that green jersey. But... Yeah, Groner, you know, I mean, his speed, pure speed from them overhead shots when you see him and Gaviria. I mean, he's probably just as quick as him, but maybe hasn't quite got those sprints right. He got boxed in with Greipel the other day and they had a bit of headbutting going on. But just watching Sagan in those moments is kind of poetry to watch him, definitely. I think we take it for granted now, yeah. seeing him. Yeah, you watch him, it's like, oh, wow, that was great. If that was a one-off from another rider, some of the ways he comes through in finals, yeah. I think that would be like a spectacular standout moment of a season. So much so that when he won that stage to take yellow... And then got dropped in the team time trial. That was a bit like, what's yeah, happened? Yeah, yeah. Because you'd normally expect him to be. I mean, he was still there on top of the Mur de Bretagne, you know, and and yet he got dropped up the climb in the team time trial, which is a rarity to see that happen for someone like him. Mm. Uh, you both touched on on Dan Martin. That was a really impressive victory for him, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah he's a, he's yeah. a gutsy individual. Given what's happened to him in the first week. Yeah, I think he was second up there two years ago when they went up. So he to see, to I mean, you kind of knew. Or we were expecting or waiting for that attack because he does it so often, Dan, in these, in particularly on that climb. It's a brilliant ride from the man who took the stage at the Dauphiné. Martin looks around. He thinks he might have it. Valverde might have gone too late. Martin is there. Can he celebrate yet? Yeah, because Paul Pianator is tiring. It is going to be Dan Martin to win a stage at the Tour de France. He went and Geraint tried to follow him and kind of he didn't know whether he didn't have the legs or he didn't want to take everyone up with him. And and, and for Dan to, to do what he did and hold on for that amount, I think it was the record up there as well in, in Tour de France. So and it was a headwind as phenomenal, well. Phenomenal, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, real sh- showing the kind of the form he's in now going into the, into the mountains. But then we had that you know horrific crash he had where he was pretty badly cut yeah. up and it looked like he was going to get back to, the, back to the peloton at one stage and then kind of... The, the gap drifted out again, but I, I wouldn't certainly wouldn't discount him after the way he performed last year. Um, some criticism for stage seven, and in fact, any stage over two hundred k, are they boring to ride? I mean, nothing happened on stage seven. It seemed oh. there was a sprint finish, but not yeah. much went on. What What are you feeling like in a peloton when on a day like that? I mean, a lot of them will be relieved that it didn't go out the blocks. I mean, had the I think the wind had a lot to do with those stages. So the wind, it was a blockhead wind all day, from what I understand. So. You know, had the wind been at a slightly different angle, you know, we'd have seen crosswinds all day, and it would have been a you know an epic stage. But I think a lot of guys would secretly have been relieved. Really, I mean, okay, it's a bit boring for the guys that are waiting, to have a job to do in the final. But considering how hard the tour's been this year and what's to come, I think a lot of guys would have just been relieved to to not have you know kind of been in a small group of ten, two minutes down, chasing all day, you know, trying to help their leaders. So. So actually, a day like that isn't a day to sort of sit up and go, oh, just recover. It was still a challenging still hard, ride yeah, because of the, the wind. Seven hours on the bike, but um, 
You know, a lot of these things are dictated by the direction of the wind, really. Even on Bastille Day, where historically, you know, all the French want to be in the break. I mean, nothing happened at the start. Marcus Bogart went away, then sat up and decided he didn't want to go away on his own all day. So, kind of, which was, a, it was a bit, you know, definitely, you know, out of the norm for, for a Bastille Day where it's racing for the first two hours and every Frenchman wants to be in the break. But again, the wind dictated that. You know, it was almost going to be uh, a suicide effort to go in the break all day into a headwind. Uh, quick mention for bonus points because uh, Van Avermaet benefited from those bonus uh, points. Are they a welcome addition? Do you think that w- that we're seeing in the tour? I think it doesn't make that much of a difference mm. to the viewing of it in a stage like that. It didn't. I mean, I think in general, I think yeah, I think on special on some of the more like puncher stages, I think it could be a bit more exciting. But then you think that more suit to Sagan still, so you feel like it doesn't necessarily add too much to the green jersey battle. Yeah, and I think they they just kind of give guys like Van Avermaet the opportunity to maybe extend his lead in that first week and hold on to the jersey for a couple more days. I don't think they really play much of a part to you know your main GC guys where you'd think that minutes will come into play by Paris and not just a handful of seconds. But you never know that, you know, you kind of playing that balancing act all the time. We saw G take a couple of seconds in the final 20k on the run into the Muir that day. And, you know, we saw a tour one, once before by eight seconds. So <laughs> you, you never know over three weeks, but it's playing that balance definitely of kind of expending too much energy in the first week for two or three seconds when maybe you can take minutes in the final week. We'll be back in a bit to talk about the GC battle and the Froome Salbutamol latest. Eurosport Player is the only place to watch every minute of the Tour de France live and on demand. Visit eurosportplayer.com now to sign up for your free seven-day trial. Follow every stage of the world's biggest cycling race from every angle with six live camera streams to choose from, plus an uninterrupted ad-free feed and the very best expert analysis and commentary. So uh, most of the GC riders have been delayed by crashes. They've been caught up behind crashes. Everything's been going on in the first week. Are Yates, Froome, de Moulin, Lander all further down on GC than they would have liked to have been? Or will they look at that and go, well, not so bad? Well, I don't know. I mean, I think obviously it's not ideal for them, but I would say out of all of them, Geraint's had the best run up to now. He's looked the best. He's looked the more prominent in the front. He's kind of not missed a beat in that first week, which is is what he'd want. Um, but other than that, you'd say Froome would have been there barring the punch he had on day one or the crash he had on day one. Um, so he would have certainly been there or thereabouts. But, um, I mean, all in all, I think it's not been too bad a, a week for the GC guys in terms of what they could have lost and what they have lost. And um, I think the team time trial was perhaps more of a loss to some teams than others because of the performance of Sky and BMC, just how fast they went. Um, and some of those teams that really lost time on that, kind of as we spoke about last week, you know, it's it's just the investment for for a little, you know, forty five seconds here or there in a team time trial, which is what it was because just because of the standard that those two teams had set. I mean, you saw the way they were set up with the equipment, the line out, you know, the guys that they brought specifically for the team time trial. So, all in all, I think it's been a good week for most of the guys, and they'll they'll all they would have all took that at the start. I think had you offered it to them. How have you seen it, Molly? I feel like any loss is unwelcome. I think they wouldn't, they'd all wouldn't want any time gap. But actually, after the first day, you thought, oh, Froome's crashed, he's lost time, Quintana's had a mechanic, lost time. And then it's kind of levelled itself out because everyone's had some sort of misfortune, a mechanical or a mm. crash. So other than the team time trial where some teams lost out massively, it's kind of all evened out, except you think like G and Valverde a bit. Yeah. Like there's a couple who've won from the situation, but other than that, it seems pretty level at the moment. What is it like to ride in a peloton in the first week where everyone potentially is a little nervous and there are those crashes that happen? It's just carnage. I mean, we've seen the carnage it causes behind. You know, I think everyone wants to be in the front. So gone are the days where one team will ride on the front and everyone will stay behind the leader of that team. We've, what we've got now is four or five team time trials going on across the road, all with the respective leaders behind that. And after that, then you've got that kind of middle pocket where the crashes are tending to happen when there's a small break in the peloton or whatever. As we saw with Dan Martin, that looked like how he went down, uh, which was the same crash, obviously, that Tony Martin went down in. So unless you're in those team time trials across the road and you're behind that, then you're in that kind of danger zone if you're 
you know, a GC guy that hasn't got a team that can impose themselves in that front line. So it's quite difficult for everyone. And obviously that's a relatively new thing in the tour, certainly in the last 10 years. So it just makes for more nervous racing. You know, guys tend to pick one side of the peloton as you know, predominantly the safest place to be. And we've seen Froome kind of at the back with Geraint in that of these sort of seven riders in front of him on one side of the peloton. But then you've got the sprinters teams mixed in there with Cav, uh, Gaviria and Quickstep. So it, it just, and that's that's where the stress happens. Because if you're riding like that for 150k, 100 miles of racing, you know, just basically looking for your team, it's it's just, it's nerve wracking. There's no time to talk to anyone. And it's just, it creates that stress. And as the, it gets faster and faster and faster and faster, more and more twitchy, one little break, that ricochets down the peloton, people crash. And once you can hear a crash behind you, that makes puts you on a little bit more edge even more. So then everyone gets a bit more nervous. And as I say, the, the closer you get to the finish, the more that's happening further back. And it's just makes for chaotic racing, which you could say makes you know good viewing, but not, not great if you're in there. No, not not fun no. to be in the middle no, of all there's that. There's been that debate for a while about what to do on the sprint days because obviously you've got them. What to do about the time? Because obviously the GC guys, a lot of the time it seems like a massive risk, and there's so much risk of crashing, and there are crashes, and because this fight. There was someone like, complaining about that the other day, yeah. wasn't there? About the GC guys are spoiling the sprint. Yeah, because what they're supposed to do. Because yeah, they've because they don't want to lose. Established you know, a rule. Yeah. Until you get to that three k to go, they don't want to lose the small. As we saw Dumoulin when he punctured, you know, yeah. you just you can lose a minute straight away. You've got so. two races battling against each other, clashing. Yeah. When you think actually, is there not a way to maybe make that a bit safer or make it a bit calmer? And I don't know I think, how they do I don't that. Know, yeah, I don't, I don't know, know how, how they been a debate for a while, but yeah. You spoke both last week, it was really fascinating, about the Gruppetto and about Bernie Isle almost being the leader of that. Mm. Is there almost an unofficial leader of the peloton when it's a bit twitchy and no, nervous? Not anymore. I don't, I don't, certainly not in men's right. Everyone's so competitive now. Everyone feels they've got a chance of winning. Everyone's got a job to do. And everyone wants to do their job and just get out of the way as soon as they can. The sprinters know that they need to just get to 200 metres to go in the best position. The GC guys want to be right there in case there's a small split in the final you know, three, four hundred metres and they take a two second gap or whatever. So it's just that's creates the wave of kind of racing we see and the crashes and the devastation behind. Is there much talk in the middle of the peloton when it's like that? Is nah, everyone just a lot focused? of shouting and, you know, kind of guys trying to communicate with the teammates whether they're there or not. The sprinters will be shouting at their lead out men to kind of go right, go left, go, you know, someone's moving up and it's just it's chaotic. I mean, it really is. And then you add in thousands of people on the roadside all shouting as well. And you just can't hear a thing sometimes. You can't hear the calls. You can't hear the communications. I mean, I, I think I saw one of the BMC guys talking about they didn't they couldn't hear if they were up or down on Sky in the final because the crowds are so noisy in the team time trial. So they just they couldn't hear the radio calls from behind. So they didn't know whether they were up or down in that final few K. So it's the Tour de France. That's what it's, it's just carnage. Do you learn a few new words in the middle of the peloton as well? <laughs> no, no, predominantly. It's funny how, how even in those moments and the heat of the moment and the swearing, it's all in English. So really? Colombian guys, Spanish guys, Belgian guys, all swearing yeah. in English because, you know, it's just... And are they trying to convey a point of, I say, would you get out of the way, please? Uh, yeah, and then we saw obviously Gaviria, you know, and Greipel sort of after the finish the other day. That was all in English, you know, German and a Colombian arguing in English. You closed me. No, you didn't. Yes, you did, man. <laughs> I saw you. You did on purpose, eh? Does the same thing happen in women's cycling? Um, it, more and more, yes. As it's more becoming a team sport. I think it is, it's obviously further behind with the men. When it was more lots of individuals and not so much order, there tended to be someone who could kind of shout over everyone and it was a bit more chaotic. But I think now, like, obviously the men's already like that where it's just so strictly in teams that actually now it's more about you don't let anyone push you around. Yeah. You, like a team, you don't listen to anything, you're, you're in your line and you can't almost can't hear anything else, you can't see anything else, you can see your lead out and it's it's a case of team on team and you stand your ground and it's the same thing and people are shouting and... But it, it, it's much more ordered in that you hold where you are and you don't really, no one can marshal it really. Um, talking about Sky, you've praised Garrett Thomas for how he's ridden mm. this first week. Is there any flexibility there for GC focus over Chris Froome? I don't know. I mean, they, they've said they're gonna, that will be decided in the Alps, but um, the way he's ridden this week, I mean, it's going to be an interesting dynamic because he's now got a minute on Chris Froome and. How that plays out when they get to the first mountain stage, I, I don't know. In, in in previous years, it's all been for Chris Froome and they've they've lined that train up and pulled off one by one until there's only Chris left. And they normally laid a marker down on that first 
mountain stage in the tour. So it's going to be interesting how it plays out, whether they now still play this, you know, this two-pronged attack and try and keep them two up there. But at some point, there is going to be, have to be a decision. And, and, and what that decision is, I mean, we don't know at this stage. How would you feel if you were Chris Froome in this situation? Um, <laughs> I mean, it depends how much he wants it, doesn't it? You know, I think, does he... He's won the Giro, you know, how, how, how important is a fifth win to him? Does he want to repay back Geraint for the last few years of work and sacrifice he's made to Chris? Is it going to be their decision? Does Dave B come in and, and kind of, you know, do his usual and be quite divisive and, you know, get in each other's ear and, and you know, kind of keep them both motivated for the same goal and there'd be a natural selection, whether that's the time trial Yeah, I think or... we can't tell until the mountains. You just don't like, know. You it just can don't be the know. natural selection. Either G rides away from Froome or Froome rides or away from Froome G. Away from and G, then it's yeah. easy. I mean, if they're battling mean... each other, it's... Yeah. Then it's difficult if they're mm. neck and neck. Then it becomes more difficult. Do you mean he? He? They might give messages that both get out. Well, there I think race. I think that he will certainly. Dave will certainly get in both their ears and make them both think that they can win it, as as a way of motivating them, as a as a as a way of playing this card for as long as possible into the race until there is a natural selection. One of them might crash one day, so you don't. You know they're not going to want to give up. They'll go first and second as long as they can into the race before there's a natural, you know, maybe all the way to Paris. We don't know. As, as you see, G crashed on a simple descent last year in the mountains and broke his collarbone. And if they've already played G card and Froome's lost a few minutes, then it's you've lost everything. So I think they will, they will, they will. He will keep them motivated as long as possible into the race and keep them ideally first and second on GC until there is a natural, natural kind of selection or whatever, whether that's a time trial or a mountain stage. If we get to the first mountain stage and Geraint stays where he is now and he takes the yellow jersey, then they've probably got a real problem on their hands because that means they're going to have, with eight riders in the team now, they're going to have Geraint at the back sat there in yellow. They won't put Chris Froome on the front, so he'll sit in front of him or behind him. And then they'll have six riders that can ride. So in other years, you've got seven or eight riders you know, to, to, to swap off and ride. So six riders riding in the mountains from the start with other teams attacking him and stuff is going to be a lot more difficult yeah. than the eight riders, which I guess was the objective of cutting the teams back to eight riders anyway, was to make the racing a bit more exciting and we'll see, we'll yeah, find they out. They said going into, de- into today that there's genuinely no competition. I think only time will tell if that's true. If there is genuinely no competition between G and Froome, then it's just strength in numbers. Then mm. it's just they've got two options, but you never know when egos are going to come into it or one's not going to want to work for the other, even when it comes down to the point where one's in the lead. I think only time can say if, if that's If Chris is feeling really good... He's not going to want to... It's going to be it tough go, for yeah. him to sit there with that record on the horizon of fifth, you know, I think. But that, that could be a card they play, you know. They mm. could send him up the road to, you know, but... I think we'll we'll know more next week once we get into those first mountain stages. You mentioned Dave Brailsford being divisive. Is that from personal experience? Yeah, well, definitely, yeah. But I mean, that's kind of he's that's you know he's quite self-serving, and I think it's uh, for him. He just sees that it's about the team winning and not the individuals or the characters, the personalities, and he will be in both those riders' ears in terms of motivate. He has done up to now. You know, you've seen that they've both got this role and this joint leadership role. And that can be quite dangerous, but you know, with the, the quality they've got in the team, that they could end up first and second, as we've done before in the tour. So, you know, it's going to be tough for them. But I think that that's what he will try and do: is play those both cards as long as possible into the race before there's either a natural selection or there actually has to be a decision from someone. Mm. So, we talked at length about Chris Froome last week. Bernard Eno has come out and continues to insist that Chris Froome shouldn't have been allowed to start this year's race. He said, The other day I was with a coach of junior riders and the parents were giving Ventolin inhalers before the start of the race to children who were not sick. That's what happens. They copy the big names. Uh, That's not going to help Chris Froome and and Sky very much, is it? Those kind of comments. No. I mean, I I, I, I don't know. I mean, someone will always go and find Bernard and ask him a question and... That that seems to have subsided a little bit. That was a bit of a mad frenzy for a couple of days in that first week, and then the last few days it seems to be more about the racing. And Sky have stopped putting Dave on camera now, which is probably a good thing because <laughs> whatever he says ends up like this massive, whether he meant it or not, or I poured petrol on it again or yeah. whatever, you know. And it's like at some point, you know, like today they put Portal on the telly. I noticed this morning, which is quite good. Nico's a lot warmer. He's French, and he's actually the one in the car following the racing. So I think. 
you know, it's, it's quite good, really. I mean, because, um, you're right because initially team time trial there was uh, there was booze in the team time yeah. trial. Uh, Luke Rowe ripped down an anti Sky banner outside, yeah. but as you say, <laughs> de- days have gone on. From yeah, that. and it's I think the talks more of the racing now. Bit, yeah. I think, yeah, I think all this kind of anti kind of Froome Sky bashing seems to have subsided, and the racing's took over, which it should. It's the Tour de France, so yeah, it's becoming kind of irrelevant to the racing. It's also think if you go to Bernardino, he's going to put out some sensational comment about it, and that's that's what they want, and then they can put it in the news, can't they? So you can be quite angry, Bernardino. Yeah, <laughs> I think to me that's a little bit was, of an I mean, overreaction to it. I think, but. but. But then things there are things that won't go away. Wada yeah. released more info on their website to clarify the situation, which Chris Room we're told is is happy about. So they're being open about that. Although Wada's director general Olivia Nigli talking about getting tough on salbutamol usage, well, that's going to be bad for the likes of Chris Froome and athletes with asthma, isn't it? These kind of stories just aren't going away. I think people want clarity. I think that's what people want people to be open about things and honest, but. I think honestly they don't know what to do so they're kind of making a decision and putting out statements and saying oh we're going to do this and we're going to you know make it better by doing this like yeah but they're not actually taking a step back and taking some time to think about it more logically because if there's a flaw in the testing procedure I don't really see how changing the limit or adjusting the limit is going to help that but it's just almost saying anything to sort of quiet the the backlash against it. Yeah I mean I, I think once the tour's done and dusted and they get into the you know the the next part of the season it's for the job of the heads of everyone to get together and decide what is the rules what is because I think at the moment it's just it's just a again it's just this noise everywhere yeah. and it's like you can't get any sort of clear information you've got the party and arguing with Dave during the week they're all sort of having jibes in the press at each other and then you've got Wada and it's just at some point they all need to get together and kind of decide what is the rules and what is the test and is the test good enough isn't it good enough is the level at the right level isn't it and it's unprecedented in many ways because it's either going to set the tone now for whatever happens in the future, and that might be down to Chris Froome and the money he had to, to try and in, you know invest in showing that this test wasn't good enough, or it might go the other way and for, you know forevermore you know the test will remain and that's it. I mean, okay, we're going to take a break now, and in part three we'll talk about Cavs' first week and preview this week's mountain stages. Great teams flourish at the Tour de France and Eurosport have brought a sparkling lineup to the world's premier cycling race. Coverage is fronted by Jonathan Edwards with analysis from Brian Smith and a host of guests, plus Matt Stevens as race reporter and the inimitable Carlton Kirby, Rob Hatch and Sean Kelly in the commentary box. So join us for three weeks of unbeatable drama live on Eurosport. Now, before we talk Mark Cavendish, let's hear him speaking to Eurosports' Matt Stevens after the sprint on Friday. Mark, another very chaotic finish, but good to see you up in the mix. You've got to be heartened by that. Knocking on the door. Oh, yeah, just a few hundred metres to go. And I was quite excited, to be honest. And then, uh, but once um, once Quickstep and Bora kind of go, can't match that speed. Can't, can't, can't go that fast. <laughs> I just can't do it, so... Seeing the sprinters all around me, all with one, two guys, I thought, okay, I'll jump from wheel to wheel. And actually, I was good, moving, moving. It was a headwind, so, so it was going to be easiest to, to move from wheel to wheel. Yeah, and then actually, I was to a couple hundred metres, I was all right. That I was pretty happy with it. The legs felt good, and then I went, and even my marvellous looked at Mike's power. My power was good. Well, what are we talking? I'm not telling you. <laughs> Doesn't matter. Like, the view is there's only a few people care. I know, I know, I know. But, uh, but well, I didn't win, like, so that's that. What do you make of his first week on, on this year's tour? I think he'd be disappointed with it. And I think you can see there's a lack of power there in terms of matching them. I think he doesn't have as good a lead-out train. You can see that as well. He's having to surf the wheels a bit more, whereas maybe they're having a more clean run at it. But he always seems to be there or thereabouts, about 200 metres to go. And then when everyone accelerates, he almost just slips a little bit back. But I have massive respect for him for just being honest about that, mm. just saying, not making an excuse, just saying straight out, I couldn't match them. He hasn't been close, has he, really? No, but he's been there or thereabouts, you know, when he's been right where he needs to be when the sprint opens up yeah. 300 out. So, you know, he's there, he's doing everything right, he's in the right position. And even he said he's felt great in that position and looking at his power. And But then once they've opened up and those three or four guys, you know, Groenewegen, 
Gaviria and Sagan have gone. He's just not been able to match or even go with them or even look like trying to get past them. But, you know, let's not forget, you know, the, the, the season he's had up to now has been quite horrific from his, you know, his standards and the crashes he's had and particularly the crashes he's had in the tour in the last few years, you know, both shoulders and... I think he'll get better as the race goes on, as he finds his feet a bit more. Um, you know, we haven't seen him in this position all year, kind of in the shout for these wins against these carpet rivals. So I, th- I think he'll get better as the race goes on. And as it gets whittled down, I think, you know, he's, he'll come into his own a bit more. Maybe he's not fast enough at the moment to match those guys, but into week three, I mean, I wouldn't, put, yeah, on his side, isn't he? Yeah. I wouldn't put it past him winning in Paris, you know. Really? You can never discount him. I mean, he's, he's, he's Mark Cavendish for a reason, and I never discount him at this stage. Yeah, and I think winning breeds winning as well. So the younger guys got off to like you know, a bit more of a flying start, and I think it's quite often difficult then to catch them up. But yeah, I think maybe they're going to fade and tire over that length of tour, especially with the next couple of weeks being a lot harder. And then, like you say, you don't know what's going to happen. Maybe in yeah, Paris he comes good. Other team doing enough for him? It looks that way on the telly. As much as any other team are doing, as much as they can do. I don't. They're not the sort of team that can hit the front three k out. You know, I think they are going to definitely kind of duck and weave with the likes of Boas and Hagen and those guys, you know, and, and put him into the position more than anything. I think he's certainly the kind of rider that will want to be coming off the wheels of 300 goes. So he'll be on, he want to be left on the right wheel with 300 to go as opposed to hitting the front last lead out man and go because, you know, he'll want to use his speed and run off riders and out the slipstream because obviously he's so small and aerodynamic as well. So we'll see. He said he's been happy with the with the positioning. It's not like he's been saying that's an issue. I think if you look where he's been at sort of yeah three hundred two hundred to go, he's been surfing the wheels, which is kind of how he likes to sprint. And I think it is just that maybe that lack of racing and maybe a little bit. He's obviously going to be hampered by the crashing as well. But you can almost see he hasn't got that kick and that explosive speed yet. But I think it might come in the last week. When you're sprinting using that technique, can you try too hard? Can that affect you at the finish? Um, I don't know. I've never really been in that position. <laughs> yeah, I've only ever been never in been Mark Cavendish. And, uh, so I don't know. I mean, it's how did that one time go? I won. I won. The, I won. But it wasn't really. You know, I didn't beat all the sprinters. It was a whittled down sprint. But um, I don't know. I mean, those guys. You know, they, they're you can see in the sprints they're on the edge. They're, they're, any little sort of thing, any little switch, any little mishap, just. You, from the overhead shots, particularly, you know, you can see just how how destructive that is to this sprint when they're in full flow and with Cav slipped a gear or something maybe yesterday or the day before, yeah. and you just saw that just took his speed off instantly. So anything like that, we saw Gaviria, you know, when he's trying to come up the inside of Gripal and and how much that impacted on his speed. So momentum and speed in those in those final and running off the wheel and using the aerodynamics and the slipstream is everything for those guys. And that's what Groenewegen's done yeah. so well, is, is timing and using the speed right and then just popping out and, and, and he's got it. So it's a big part of sprinting and those guys, you know, kind of, they, it's about getting a straight run. Let's have a quick look at this week's route because after a rest day, there's three days in the mountains with back-to-back summit finishes at La Rosière and Alpe d'Huez plus gravel for the riders to deal with on stage 10, an uphill finish on stage 14, as well, what do you pick out of that that sort of jumps out? You go, oh, that's going to be the stage to watch this week. Uh, the Grand Bournon stage is, is I think we've done this finish before. Actually, I rode it in two thousand and nine, and the climb before the Colombier and the drop into Bournon is really tough. It's eight point nine percent, I think, for eight or ten k, which is is solid. And that that year, particular year, was when the Schlex and Contador went away, and I was left with Armstrong and Nibali. So. The race will happen there on that, and then you've got a fast descent down, then you do the Colombier, and then you've got a fast descent down into the Grand Bournon. So that stage in particular is going to be it. That's, you know, and then obviously following that, we've got Alpe d'Huez, which is always going to be spectacular as well. And you know, What, what never... makes it spectacular, do you think? I think the gradients, the history, certainly something like Alpe d'Huez. It's iconic, isn't it? Yeah. It's iconic. Um, everyone wants to win there. It's, you know, it's, it's kind of the one that everyone wants to win in terms of mountain stages there on Mont Ventoux. So, it, I mean, I hope this second week's going to be, you know, fantastic. I think it's certainly going to be even better than the first week, you know, there's for different reasons, for different group of riders. And it's, I think we're going to get the real indicator of who's going to win this Tour de France in the next few days. And gravel as well, Molly. Yeah. You, you must like gravel if you like uh, pavé as well. 
Yeah, I was always a fan of it. Yeah, I like Strada Bianchi and stuff like that. Um, I think for me, it's I just always like the first GC day. I always like to see who's kind of there and who's maybe just like that little step behind. I think you can really see then the bit of the hierarchy come into play. But also, yeah, the Outdoers Day. It's also got, I think, quite a fair and cold and Madeleine on that day. So you've got three like, iconic climbs in one stage. So that's going to be a bit epic, I think. So you're saying it's going to warm up. The racing's going to really, really begin at stage 10 you were talking about. Yeah. After a rest day. Let me ask you both, what makes a perfect rest day? Different for everyone. Um, some riders like to do nothing for the mental side of things. Some riders like to go and do two or three hours on the bike and just stay in the rhythm you know, keep burning calories, keep, you know, kind of some riders like to have a lie-in, you know, it's just, it's so different for everybody, but we're always, we were always encouraged, certainly by Sky, to get out and do two hours on the bike, you know, you try not to eat as much as well in that rest day, because, you know, you're so used to eating a lot, because you're racing six, seven hours a day, so some riders can carry on consuming that amount of calories, and then you just, your glycogen stores, you know, you, you kind of, you replete and you kind of go out and you feel a bit blocked the next day you can't you know so it's all those kind of things everyone's different we used to try and find a sauna some days and still go and sit in a sauna for 20 minutes just to to keep sweating keep you know getting them electrolytes going and everything and um just to keep in the rhythm of the racing as much as possible because you've been racing now for eight or nine days you stop and then you get into a mountain stage and it's kind of it can just change the body's function a little bit so differs for everyone but kind of I definitely think try and stay in the rhythm what would you do typically on a rest day Molly yeah we don't have a stage race that has one in it but in a normal rest day in training I always had to ride I mean some riders seem to be great off like you know a whole week of rest and they're Mm. flying if I had a rest week I was always awful absolutely awful after it so I'd always keep going keep riding like keep take it steady but I was rubbish rested so I was someone who had to always like keep on top of it and it's different for every rider yeah. I mean the GC guys will probably go out and try and find a little climb for 10 you know in a two hour loop and try and you know ride up it at good tempo get a breathing going get a good sweat on without going too deep um, so it's when they get into the next day this kind of still feels familiar mm. some of the sprinters might just decide to lay down all day you know and, not, and that's not, you're, you're not kidding there they would literally do nothing all day no they do nothing all day they might some of the, the families might come over and see the family you might see the kids if they've come over so it's just a, it's different for everyone I, you know I've, I've roomed with guys that literally just laid on their bed all day and watched films all day and used the mental downtime because of the stress involved in that for but knowing that the day after they might feel a little bit rubbish when they started but it was an important stage for them, so they just had to get through the stage. Um, so again, you know, again, I've been on grand tours where riders have used it to have a night out, and they'll go and get have a bit, a few beers on the way back in the bus after the stage <laughs> before the rest day, and you know, really get stuck into it. <laughs> Is that have why a, they want to get a sweat on? Yeah, have a, no, seriously, yeah, but obviously, there's no GC aspirations in there, and they know they're going to get through the race. They might feel a little bit sticky when the race starts. <laughs> But they have the re- they start the rest day with a bit of a hangover. And is that like is that done on the slide? That, is everyone aware? No, not, that not the team I was in. It was done with the director. <laughs> so and that was in the Giro. It wasn't in the Tour de France. And the Giro was a bit more at that time. It was a training race for the Tour de France, so it was a bit more relaxed. Like proper proper night hour, just like well, you know, no, one or I mean, two. Some of them might have drifted out <laughs> once we got to the hotel. <laughs> but. Uh, that was yeah, just different. Everyone's different, but Tour de France serious stuff. Everyone's gonna this now, you know. This I'm talking ten, fifteen years ago. Yeah. So, <laughs> uh, hangovers aside, what kind of state would you expect to be in after one week of racing when you're a GC contender? Different for everyone. I think some riders would have ridden themselves in. Someone like Chris Froome would probably start feeling really good now because he hadn't raced between the Giro and the Tour, and he had needed these kind of blowouts. We call them like the team time trial. Today would have been a big blowout for him. You know, they really open up the taps and see what they've got. Um, so he'll probably ride a bit more tomorrow just to keep that rhythm. Someone like Geraint can kind of go either way for him now, really. You know, he's been on the ball right from the start. So it remains to be seen how he continues. Um, can you can you wake up and go, oh, do you know what? It's, it's not happening for me after week one. I'm not feeling it at all. Well, I mean, it's, again, it's different. They'll have a plan tonight. So they say, OK, we'll start, we're going to ride at 10.30 tomorrow. So everyone wants to line. So it's kind of... But they will they will try and keep some semblance of routine and order and structure to the day. I mean, you don't want to go out too late because they'll probably have a press conference in the afternoon. Guys that have crashed maybe today will probably want bandaging and treatments and chiropracts and 
massage and all those things that still need to get done during the afternoon. So it's still quite... Rest days can be a bit more stressful sometimes than like the 230k stage we were talking about. You know what you've got to do on 230k? You know, you're sitting in the bunch and just ride through the stage. Rest days kind of turn into sometimes a bit of a bit of more hassle than they need to be, particularly if you're in a team like Sky, because there's still so much to do. So you get out, ride the bike, come back, lunch. Then we've got a press conference. You've got to deal with all the press, all the questions again, all the questions about Wada and Talbutamol and all this. That'll be on his mind, you know, that I've got to do all that again tomorrow. And this is the messaging. This is what you've got to say. Don't mention this. If anyone asks you about Brailsford, don't say. Say he's brilliant. All this sort of stuff <laughs> that they've got to talk about. And it's rest days can be more stressful than just go and ride your bike for six hours. That's all you've got to do. So, but again, some of the other teams, it'll be a welcome, you know, Dan Martin chance to heal a bit and get some, you know, get patched up a little bit. Lawson Craddock, I'm sure he's, yeah, you know, I'm sure he'll be just laying day. on his backside tomorrow for the whole day <laughs> and just trying to recover a bit. So for some guys, it's completely different to, to obviously the GCA guys. So what I've got from this is the perfect rest day is a hangover and a lie down all day. <laughs> <laughs> just that's the norm, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, that's perfect most people's day. rest day. That's most people's weekend, I suppose. Um, now let's look at stage The only ten. downside is England on. Oh, <laughs> it's not coming home. Not coming home. Um, stage 10 will also be used for La Course, the women's race reduced to one day this year uh, firstly what do you think of the route molly i think it looks really exciting i think it's actually something different for the women that we normally have i think last year was good but it was a little bit short and it ended up it was just a hill climb effectively in the end it was flat and then it was a hill climb so kind of it just organically sorted itself out and then you just watch them race up the climb so i think it wasn't maybe as exciting as it will be this year we don't normally race this kind of stage like multiple mountains in one in one race I think actually tactically that's going to be something really different for the riders and they're coming off the Giro so they're going to be tired um, so I think actually it's going to be really exciting to see how they race it Who are you expecting to win? I think in looking at it now you'd say Van Bluten the way she's raced in the Giro like the Zonkland she took minutes she's just riding phenomenally but then how well is she going to recover from it and maybe some fresh riders are going to come in and I think now it's... Voss how, looked good, didn't she? Yeah, and she went home sick. Yeah. And I'm thinking, how ill is she? Is she going to be so ill that that's going to impact it? Or was it a one-day mm. thing? And now, obviously, the other riders have kept racing. She's flying, and she's actually had three more days rest than they have. So you think, maybe she's going to come to the course and absolutely fly. Um, I think it's going to be, how do they topple the Van Vlutens, I think? Do they go on earlier climbs and, and try and get away from it? Because if you wait for the final one, I think... She's also a fantastic descender if she doesn't crash, which is normally goes one or two of two ways for her. So I think that's going to be interesting. Um, we talked about coverage as well. There's a lack mm. of live coverage for the Giro Rosa. Yeah. Would that have been better to cover than La Course, do you think, given that that's multiple stages? I think on a par. I think it's all just needs to have more coverage. I think for the Giro, I mean, I put something out about it, there not being enough of it. And I think it was... Okay, there was a there was a stream this year. The year there was highlights, but there's no nothing peripheral to it. There's no coverage surrounding it. There's no promotion of it. There's no one knows it's on. No one knows how to watch it. There's very minimal coverage. Whereas, at least with La Course, it's maybe difficult to find some information on it. But everyone knows it's there, and it's 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 a spectacle. It's a big event. So I think that in terms of promotion, in terms of viewership, that's going to be a bigger a bigger deal. I think it does seem quite noticeable, doesn't it? The difference in yeah, but actually. The easiest races to find by the ones in the UK because there's yeah. so much more coverage and promotion surrounding it. Even at Eurosport on Friday night, I tuned into it was the Women's Criterium Championship, yeah, and they covered the women's race and not the yeah. men's. So it just shows you that you know the, the level now that certainly in the UK we have the Tour of Britain, Tour of Yorkshire, you know, equal prize money and all this that it's they're almost leading the way now in the UK, and it's now the, the likes of the Italians and the French to kind of follow suit and. And take it up a level as well. Someone's leaving them behind now. Yeah, it's, also, it's making that look dated. I think at a time that mm. been like, oh wow, there's a highlights reel. This is amazing. But actually, you've reached a point now where you're a bit tired of that. You're kind of like, come on now. It's it's been years. It's time to sort of make the next step in it. It's kind of we're just replaying history here over and over and over again. When it's not it doesn't take that much more just to make it so much more professional and and just more widely viewed as well. So how long before La Course is a multiple stage event there are a group at the moment doing every stage of the tour de france one day ahead of the actual race and that's with a view of promoting it showing it can be done i mean a lot of people say well you know it's run on the same route why don't just run the race 100k down the road 
you know, three hours ahead of the race. Yeah. I mean, it is possible. I mean, it's going to take a lot of doing, but I don't see in this day and age why it can't be done. So, um, you know, 10 years from now, we might be... In a, I mean, look where we are te- from 10 years ago, yeah. 2008 to here, so... People are angry that it's not happening quicker, but actually i kind of taken the last couple of years as a sign that they're still working on it. If they just have kept it the same for years, then you think, OK, maybe they're kind of just going to leave it like that. But they're clearly trying to evolve it and trying to change it. Um, I think if, if it's a good show this year, I think it should be. Hopefully then they'll, mm. they'll maybe add another one next year and it can kind of each year just pick up a little bit. OK, well, thank you both. That's all for this week's episode of the Bradley Wiggins Show. Thank you, Brad. Thank you. Thank you, Molly. Thank you. This has been a Muddy Knees media production for Eurosport. Thank you for listening. Goodbye. Visit Eurosport.com and the Eurosport app for an unrivaled Tour de France experience. Watch live, uninterrupted video streams of the entire race with a host of extra features. There's up-to-the-minute live blogging and analysis from Felix Lowe, Global Cycling Network's nightly race review, and in-depth breakdowns of the biggest stages in how the race was won. Plus comprehensive news, race clips, and the best of Eurosport's live coverage Eurosport.com is the only place you need to be throughout La Tour. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 